It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey folks, Andy Patton here to discuss the announced field for the PK85 event this November and to give my five things to watch ahead of Wednesday night's game against Pepperdine. I'll also make some predictions for the rest of the WCC games this week, all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, ready to take you through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. I want to thank all of you who make this podcast your first listen of the day, and those of you who have checked the show out on YouTube. Just as a reminder, go to youtube.com, search Locked On Zags. You'll see a big green subscribe button. Hit that button. It helps generate some traffic for me. It's a great way to join the community on YouTube. Over 350 subscribers at this point, trying to get to 500 by the time the Zags cut the nets down in March. So any help you can give me there is very much appreciated. And I appreciate all of you who have already done so. And those of you who have checked out the show either on the podcast platforms or, of course, on YouTube as well. All right. So the big news for the day. On Tuesday, it was announced the official fields for the PK-85. That is the Phil Knight 85th Invitational Event. It is a November Thanksgiving scheduled basketball tournament happening in Portland, of course, near Phil Knight's hometown as somebody from Eugene, uh, the creator of Nike, of course. There was the PK-80 back in 2017, one of the most fun college basketball tournament events that I can remember. I'm a little biased because I was able to go to some of those games. Uh, It was an incredibly fun event, a super great atmosphere. They're kind of trying to replicate a lot of the same atmosphere for this, this tournament as well. Since the PK-80, there have continued to be a Phil Knight Invitational every year in Portland. It's usually just one or two games. It's a much smaller event than it will be this year and than it was back in 2017. Last year, Oregon and BYU were in it, for example. So they get some decent teams, but uh, obviously they're competing with so many other tournaments that are happening around the same time. The Old Spice Classic, the Maui Invitational, etc., etc. But it's very cool to have the opportunity to do this event again. Of course, Gonzaga is participating just like they did last time. The event is taking place over November 24th, 25th, and 27th. The games will take place at three different locations. The Moda Center, formerly known as the Rose Garden, where the Portland Trailblazers play. The Veteran Memorial Coliseum, which is just right next door, also in downtown Portland. And the Child Center at the University of Portland, of course, where the Portland Pilots play. That is where all of the games will take place. There are two eight-team brackets on the men's side, so 16 total teams participating for the men's side, and then there are eight teams, two four-team brackets on the women's side as well. The Gonzaga women's team is not participating in this event. Of course, the Gonzaga men's team is participating. They are in what is called the legacy bracket of, of the Phil Knight Invitational. The other teams in this bracket, it's a pretty good one, Duke, Purdue, Florida, West Virginia, Xavier, Oregon State, and Portland State. Obviously, 
It gets a little, it's a little top heavy, heavy Duke, Purdue, Florida, pretty fantastic trio of teams. Gonzaga will very hopefully get to play two of those three teams. Uh, obviously, Florida sets them up for a potential rematch of last year, which was a very epic game between the Gators and the Zags that unfortunately did not go Gonzaga's way. Silas Melson missed a devastating free throw at the end of the game, and they ended up losing that one. Still a fantastic game, a fantastic atmosphere, a really fun opportunity for the Zags to get a couple of really good non-conference games to play in front of a lot of home crowds. Certainly when you look at this, obviously Oregon State, Portland State are more local teams. But when you look at the big name schools, Purdue, Florida, Duke, they'll have some fans. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure that the fan bases for those teams travel quite well. But Gonzaga is almost certainly going to be home cooking a little bit in regards to the fan base that is there. There is a large contingency of Gonzaga fans in Portland. Of course, if you've ever been to a Portland Pilots game at the Child Center when the Zags are in town, it is a madhouse of red, white, and blue in the crowd. There is not a lot of purple for those games. The Gonzaga fans travel extremely well. It's a rare opportunity for fans in this area to get to go see the Zags play, of course, in the PK-85. That will be the case as well. I expect it to be filled with Gonzaga fans, but a really nice opportunity for this team to pick up a couple of good wins. I would expect that their first game would probably be against either Oregon State or Portland State. They have not announced how the bracket is going to shake out just yet, but Gonzaga is probably going to be one of the top seeds in this group alongside, of course, Duke and Purdue and potentially Florida as well. But hopefully the Zags will get either Oregon State or Portland State first game, knock that one out. Then they'll play West Virginia, Xavier, Florida are kind of all three the next games. Obviously, that rematch with Florida would be super great. Uh, West Virginia and Xavier is not quite as exciting as perhaps some of the other options there. Uh, neither of those teams are particularly great this year, but still far from a bad non-conference game for the Zags. Uh, still, still a good contest for them to get. Uh, I've Always like when Gonzaga plays Big East schools. I think it's, I'd like to see them play more Big East schools if possible. I think that sometimes there's there's opportunity to schedule more of those games in the non-conference than they usually do. You know, we've seen them play Creighton in non-conference games before, so I know that they're capable of doing it. We just haven't seen as many of those games, and hopefully there's a chance to maybe get a, get a game against Xavier here. And then, of course, Duke, Purdue, or Florida in the championship game, uh, obviously, Duke would be the ideal game. It's always, always fun when the Zags play Duke. That's, you know, one of the best non-conference games of the year. Every single year is the highest rated game that has happened during the 2021-2022 season so far was the Gonzaga-Duke game on the Friday after Thanksgiving this year. That is potentially the date that Gonzaga would play Duke again this year as well. So it could be kind of a a back-to-back matchup of Gonzaga-Duke right after Thanksgiving once again. Uh, Purdue obviously has had a really successful season this year. Uh, They're struggling on the defensive end of the floor, but with Trevion Williams and Zach Eady in the front court, Jaden Ivey obviously a monster guard in the backcourt and not going to be around next year. Ivey is going to be a lottery pick without a shadow of a doubt. There's a pretty good chance Zach Eady will be selected the draft as well. So Purdue may not quite be the powerhouse team next season that they are this year, uh, but either way would still be a good game for the Zags to potentially get a chance to play. Uh, The other side of the bracket uh, for the the PK-85 is also very stacked. Uh, Alabama, Iowa State, Michigan State, North Carolina, 
Oregon, Portland, Yukon, and Villanova. So a lot of great teams on both sides of the bracket here. Uh, a couple teams that were notably absent. Uh, the most notable would be Kentucky. Kentucky does, is currently not signed up for any other event during that weekend. So most people believed to, to the point of near certainty that Kentucky and Calipari squad would be a part of the PK-85. They are a Nike school. They are a big name program and they are not in another tournament. So it all certainly seemed to be lining up for that to be the case. Uh, for some reason, they are not a part of it. All that I saw on Twitter was some previous quotes from Calipari talking about how he does not like playing three games in a small amount of time. Nobody really likes playing three games in a small amount of time, but it's sort of just an accepted part of Feast Week. It's kind of an accepted part of this Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, it's certainly the kind of thing that has hurt Oregon, or excuse me, hurt Gonzaga in the past, specifically against Oregon a couple of years ago when they played them after less than 24 hours of a really brutal game and ended up losing. And it's just a part of it. And I think it helps prepare you for March, uh, especially for a Gonzaga team that, you know, has a pretty consistent schedule from late December through February and is not often challenged. I know that that's a topic that is a bit sensitive for Gonzaga fans, particularly when they're hearing about it on Twitter uh, this time of year. But I think for the Zags, that's part of the reason that these tournaments are appealing because not only do they play multiple good games, but they play them in a short succession. It gets them prepared for what that's going to be like, you know, Know, to go from the Elite Eight to the Final Four, like we saw last year where they beat USC pretty badly and then struggled a little bit against UCLA because they were tired and it's hard to kind of get back for a game like that. And so I think these kind of tournaments are valuable for the Zags in that regard. It's kind of why it's a little eyebrow raising that Kentucky would opt not to do it. Uh, Arizona was another school that I think people thought might be in it, but I believe Arizona is already committed to another tournament. That weekend would obviously have been fun and cool to see Tommy Lloyd's team as a part of this event as well. Still, Pac-12 is, of course, represented with Oregon and Oregon State, which is what you would expect that they would be a part of this as the two local teams. So it's not a surprise that there are not any other Pac-12 schools who are participating as well. Uh, like I said, the Lady Zags are not among the eight women's teams that are participating. The eight teams that will be there are Iowa State, Michigan State, North Carolina, and Oregon. And then on the other side, it is Duke, Iowa, Oregon State, and Yukon. So unfortunate, no Lady Zags for that. Uh, would have been a great opportunity for Lisa Fortier's squad to get some really, really good non-conference games on the schedule. Uh, they are currently a team that is kind of fighting for their life to be an NCAA tournament team, so... With only eight teams getting the opportunity to participate, it's not as shocking that the ladies' eggs were not selected. Uh, obviously, they are a Nike school. They are a local school, so it would have been cool to see them get that opportunity. Uh, but maybe maybe for a future year. Maybe, maybe this is the kind of thing that they'll get invited to some other time. Which kind of leads me to my next point is I would love to see this kind of tournament happen more often. Phil Knight... The PK90 may not be an event that happens. Uh, certainly, if it is, uh, there's, you know, Phil Knight's getting older and older. Uh, there's not going to be able to continue to do this forever if they want to continue to do it um, when Phil Knight is alive and celebrating birthdays. But it's very clear how popular this event is. It was a huge success in 2017. That arena was packed. People were loved it. They had new uniforms. Every team had different uniforms, obviously, designed by Nike. It was a really, really cool event. And obviously, there's a lot of competition for these Feast Week tournaments. We mentioned Maui. We mentioned the Old Spice Classic. The biggest thing that those tournaments have is selling points in Colangelo and other ones as well is that they are in warm temperatures. 
convincing a lot of teams to fly a very long ways to come to Portland, Oregon in late November when the weather is subpar, when it is cold and it is rainy and it is not a tropical destination with beaches and oceans and anything like that is a bit of a challenge. Asking teams to do it every five years in honor of the creator of Nike is a little bit easier of a sell than asking teams to do it on a yearly basis. I would still love to see a Feast Week tournament in Portland every single year. It is a devout basketball city. It always has been. They're huge fans of the Blazers here, uh, and I think there's a great opportunity for really high-level college basketball to be played here every year. I mentioned the Phil Knight Invitational does happen, and Oregon-BYU happened this year as part of the Phil, Phil Knight Invitational, so it's not like it's not happening in some capacity. There used to be what was called the Great West Challenge, which was a basketball tournament that happened in Portland Every single year. It was around Thanksgiving. Sometimes it's a little bit earlier than that. Uh, it used to be like a really big deal in the 80s and 90s. Gonzaga participated when John Stockton was on the roster. Oregon State participated when Gary Payton was on the roster. Oregon participated when Terrell Brandon was on the roster. Like they had some some high level West Coast teams participating in this event. Uh, they tried to resurrect it recently. Uh, I believe it was five five years ago they tried to bring it back and you know the the field wasn't great portland was participated oregon state participated and then it was like cal state fullerton was there and a couple other mid-major programs were there and then it kind of fizzled out after i think just two seasons and hasn't really stuck i'd love to see it i think it'd be really cool for the city of portland to have a basketball tournament in around feast week uh, for college basketball. I'm I'm not surprised that it doesn't happen every single year because of the weather implications, but I think after the PK-85, which is going to be an insanely fun event, an event that I plan to participate in. If you are getting tickets and you are planning to go, let me know. Hopefully we can meet up, maybe grab a beer or something like that, but I think this is going to be an insanely fun event as it always is, as it was last year, and the Zags obviously have a fantastic chance of taking home the trophy, something that eluded them last time just barely. But I think that they're going to be ready to roll this year, and it's going to be a super, super fun event. All right, coming back in the second segment, the Zags got a game tonight against the Pepperdine Waves. I'm going to list my five things to watch for in this one. But before we get there, let's talk about Built Bar. This is the time of the year that I've pretty much given up on all of my New Year's resolutions, but not this year. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right thanks to Built Bar. It almost feels like it's not really a resolution because I actually enjoy eating them. Have you tried the Puffs? If you haven't, you're missing out on one of Built Bar's best-tasting bars. Puffs are the first-ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy, they're marshmallowy, they're not just a protein bar, they're a treat, and they're covered in 100% real chocolate. In fact, all Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. A typical candy bar can be anywhere from two to 300 calories. Most Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. They have mint brownie, coconut, and coconut almond, and new for this month, white chocolate cookies and cream. They are all delicious, and new flavors are coming out all of the time. Go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15, and you will get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your order at Built.com. Andy Patton here to introduce our sponsor, Homefield. 
Homefield is a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, offering incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. Homefield recently kicked off big new Saturday season three, where they launch a new school on their site every Saturday for eight weeks straight. Gonzaga was week two. Homefield dug through the archives and history of the Gonzaga University to find unique logos, mascots, and moments to make thoughtful designs for our school. And they are launching, they, excuse me, they launched the Gonzaga collection on January 29th. If you missed launch day, it was an epic event on Twitter. They showed all of the new 14 pieces of material that they had. There was tons and tons of action and interest in these shirts for a very good reason. They are fantastic. They have Captain Zag, a shirt that says True Blue and White, Defend the Kennel, Teddy Gonzaga, the old mascot from the 1920s. Uh, All of the shirts are insanely comfortable. They have hoodies, they have crew necks, they have t-shirts. Really fun fabric, unique designs. This is cannot miss Gonzaga gear. Everybody needs more Gonzaga gear heading into March Madness. This is the place to get it this year. New customers can get 15% off their first purchase from Homefield using code LOCKEDONZAGS at checkout at homefieldapparel.com. All right, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, still chatting. In Zaga basketball, we're talking about the Wednesday night game against the Pepperdine Waves, 8 p.m., a Wednesday game. A little bit different this week, kind of had to shuffle things around a little bit, as has happened in the COVID times. I previewed this game more extensively with Asher Lowe, the Pepperdine PA announcer, on Tuesday's show. If you have not listened to that one, Check it out. A great conversation, not just about this upcoming game, but about the WCC in general and just about Pepperdine and kind of their progression as a young team. Here are my five things to watch. The first one, pretty simple. Can the Zags top 115 points? The last time these two teams played, it was one of Gonzaga's first WCC games of the year. Pepperdine gave up 117 to the Zags. That was during that torrid stretch where Gonzaga was dropping well over 100 points on everybody that they played. Pepperdine, not a good defensive team. They are 265th in the country per Ken Palm. They are also a team with very, very little size. So the combination of not great defensively, not a lot of size, having already given up 117 points to the Zags, you can see why it's certainly a recipe for Gonzaga to drop another 100 spot on this team once again. I expect them to come pretty close to it. I also think because Gonzaga played a tough game last week at against St. Mary's, they got a, a tough rest of the schedule after this. They got Santa Clara, San Francisco, and St. Mary's, three of the five best teams in the conference, arguably the three best teams that are not Gonzaga in the conference. So I think there's a possibility for a little bit more rest for the starters. We'll talk about that a little later on, which may hamper the ability to get over 100 points, but I still think there's a good chance that they do so. Number two, the question of whether one of the bigs specifically will step up or whether it will be a group effort. The last time these teams played, Anton Watson dropped 19 points. Chet Holmgren and Drew Timmy each had 18 points, an incredibly balanced effort from the front court against the Waves last time. Uh, We've kind of seen Chet and Drew pinball a little bit back and forth on which one of them is going to have a better game Uh, obviously certainly there have been times where they both have good games this previous matchup between these two teams is a good example of that against USF Chet had 23 Drew had 22 so obviously they have the ability to both have good high scoring games at the same time 
I would like to see that. They're a more dangerous team when both of these players are cooking offensively. They're the most dangerous when both those guys and Anton Watson are all having highly efficient scoring nights as well, which is, again, what happened last time. I'd like to see that again. I want to see these two players, particularly Chet and Drew, kind of in a, in a solid rhythm where they're both looking for their shots offensively. They both feel confident taking shots, looking for the, you know, looking for the basketball, but also, you know, feeding off each other, making the right pass, making making the right decision with the ball. Uh, and I think this is a good opportunity for them to both go out and have really nice games uh, without just relying on one another to, to kind of get it done. Because in the NCAA tournament, they're going to need both of them to be on their A game. And the more they can get in sync with each other now before they get there, the better they're going to be in March. Next up, number three, I'm looking for my Nolan Hickman offensive breakout. He has had a fantastic season and a handful of fantastic games, but I don't know that we've ever seen the true like take-over-the-game scoring breakout game from him where he has like 18 or 20 points off the bench and is just like very clearly Gonzaga's focal point offensively. Uh, I think there's an opportunity for that to be this game as well. Uh, he had nine points last time these two teams played each other. He only shot three of ten for the game, three of seven from three. He was hacking up three-pointers in that one. Uh, I would like to see him have a, a big role offensively. Again, I kind of touched on this already, but if, if Andrew Nemhard's playing really well, then that's tougher for Nolan Hickman to just get onto the floor and play enough minutes to really solidify a, a, a big scoring night. But... After a, a tough game against St. Mary's where the starters were on the floor until the final seconds of the game, there's an opportunity for the Zags to potentially play Nemhard and Timmy uh, and Bolton and a couple other guys maybe a few less minutes than normal. That could be a good opportunity for Nolan Hickman to play more minutes and potentially break out offensively. Number four, right along the same vein, more minutes from the reserves. It would just be nice. You know, we talk about this almost every single week. Mark Few has historically been a little bit hesitant to play, to bench the starters unless the game is really well out of hand. And even then, sometimes he waits a little too long. That has not been as big of an issue this year. I think this year we're seeing more of Ben Gregg, more of Hunter Salas and Nolan Hickman in the last 8-10 minutes of the game, especially when the game's well out of hand, whereas in the past it used to take him a little bit longer to do so. Uh, I think this is a good thing. I think this is important for the Zags that uh, we've seen instances where it appeared that star players who were playing 35 minutes a night throughout the season were pretty gassed by the time the NCAA tournament rolled around. Corey Kispert last year was a very notable example of that. Uh, and I think that the fear of, of doing that again this year where they make a deep run in March, but Nempart is gassed or Drew Timmy's gassed by the time they get to the championship game and they're not playing their best basketball. That's not what you want. This is a good opportunity for them to potentially get some more minutes for some of the other really talented young players on their team, like Hickman, like Salas, like Ben Gregg, like potentially Caden Perry if he is healthy and able to go, which is not looking like the case yet, but could eventually be the case before the end of the year. And then leads to number five, which is the potential other option Gonzaga could play, which is Dominic Harris. Uh, we have not gotten any word specifically that Dominic Harris is healthy enough to play in this game. Uh, he has hinted that he is close to returning. He tweeted soon or real soon recently on Twitter, which is a little bit cryptic, but uh, it's pretty pretty clear that that is what he is referring to in that instance. Uh, I had a source indicate to me that Dominic Harris was on the practice court very recently last week. He was doing non-contact non drills, so not necessarily participating in a full 
five-on-five scrimmage, which is probably the step that would need to happen before he were to officially get back on the court. It does not mean that that has not happened yet. It was not seen visibly happening the last time that media was available at practice, but it could be something that has happened since then or is going to happen. Uh, I'm still not 100% sold that Dom's coming back this year at all. Uh, I'm more confident now than I was before because he tweeted about it, and I don't think he would do that if he didn't think that uh, the staff was going to get him an opportunity to get back on the floor. This would be an awesome game to get him five minutes of action. Just see him back on the court, see him running around playing, kind of see how he holds up, how his body does, how his fatigue is, how his game shape is, all of that stuff. I don't know how big of an impact player he will be for this team in March, even if he returns this soon, because playing a few minutes in a basketball game in mid-February doesn't necessarily point to somebody who's going to be a huge contributor just less than a month later, but you never know. It's certainly possible. Even if he's just a reserve player who can come in and give them a few minutes per game, that's very valuable because of his outside shooting, because of his his defense uh, on that side of the ball. I think he could be a really big player for Gonzaga, even if it's only in a small role, and I would be curious to see if this is the game that he finally gets back out onto the court. All right, third segment, I'm going to look at the rest of the games going on in the WCC this week and make some predictions. Before we get there, though, let's talk about Bet Online. There might be less football being played, but BetOnline.net has way more stuff to bet on this playoff season. From scores, totals, and player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. And it's not just football. BetOnline.net's basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC odds coverage is the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports and play your favorite games. It's Kubota Orange Day. Shop the year's best selection of Kubota tractors, zero-turn mowers, and utility vehicles, including the number one selling compact tractor in the USA, and now through June 30. Get 0% APR for 84 months or up to $3,300 off select compact tractors. See the details at KubotaOrangedays.com. Your family, your land, and your livestock deserve equipment they can count on. So find your local dealer today. That's KubotaOrangedays.com. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zach, sticking with a WCC theme for WCC Wednesday. We're going to make some predictions for the rest of the games going on this slate. We got a pretty good sense of how the WCC is going to shake out this year. Obviously, we only got a few games left for each of these teams before the WCC tournament in Las Vegas in early March. Big game on Thursday, USF at St. Mary's. A huge bubble game, serious implications for both of these teams. Uh, I, I'm, I'm taking USF here. I think USF wins this one on the road. Uh, obviously, Randy Bennett's team is very, very good at home. They've been very, very good in conference play so far this year. I think they have a little less to lose. I think St. Mary's can lose this game and still has a pretty good chance of making the NCAA tournament. USF, if they lose this game, their their hopes are not quite gone, but pretty dang close to gone. 
I think they know that. I think Todd Golden and the Dons are going to be ready. I think Masalski has a phenomenal game down low against Matthias Toss and Dan Fotu and the Gales. And I think the Dons pull off a victory. And I think that helps temporarily keep the four-bid WCC dreams alive because I don't think St. Mary's drops out of the tournament field with a loss here. But I think USF firmly remains in that conversation because they'd be picking up a nice quad one road victory. Next up, San Diego at Portland. Portland is rolling right now. Shantae Leggins has this team at a much higher performance place than I thought that they would be in his first season with a brand new roster. They are killing it. They secured a big win over San Francisco recently. Uh, I think they take this one here at home against San Diego. Another team that Sam Scholl has done a very good job with in the Toreros, uh, two up-and-coming programs in the WCC, but I'm taking Portland for this one. Next up, Santa Clara at LMU. Uh, This is a game that I think a lot of people would have thought would be really, really exciting heading into the season. Both these two up-and-coming teams that were supposed to be top five contenders in the WCC. Santa Clara has lived up to that billing. LMU has not, and I think that will bear itself out in this game. Santa Clara is going to take this one on the road. They're They're just too good. They're just too talented top to bottom on that roster to lose to LMU. Next up on Saturday, three big games on Saturday, of course, outside of Gonzaga's game against Santa Clara. First up, Pepperdine at Portland. I think Pepperdine's going to have a nice two-win two week, two week. They're going to win at San Diego. They're, they're going to host San Diego and beat them on Thursday. They're going to host Pepperdine on Saturday and beat them as well. An incredible run for Shantae Leggins if he can pull off both of these victories. Uh, a bad week for Pepperdine, certainly, if they uh, get beat by Gonzaga on Wednesday and then also lose on the road against the Pilots on Saturday. But it is a rebuilding year for the Waves and I, I think an opportunity for Shantae and the Pilots to really establish themselves as not not to the bottom feeders of the WCC yet again. Next up, LMU at Pacific. I think LMU rebounds from their loss to Santa Clara and goes out and defeats the Tigers on the road. Uh, neither of these teams are particularly good. Uh, I, Pacific has shown the ability to, you know, they hung with USC. They beat BYU. Obviously, they can do it. They can play up in those tough games. I don't think they're going to do it here. I think LMU and Eli Scott are just going to come out and dominate them on the road and secure a, a nice win for an LMU team that hasn't had a lot of nice wins this season. And then finally, another huge game in the WCC, a huge bubble implication game. BYU at St. Mary's Saturday night, massive game in Moraga. Uh, I, I, it sounds to me, according to Mark Pope's recent quotes, that uh, Traore, their big man, is not healthy. He may not be able to go in this game. Tremendously bad luck for the Cougars, who are already down two of their big men for the entire season. Gavin, Gavin Baxter and Richard Harward, if they lose Traore, who's been playing very well lately, that leaves them severely undersized in the front court against St. Mary's, one of the few teams that can really punish you in the front court with Matthias Toss, with Dan Fotu, with Mitchell Saxon coming off the bench. Uh, I'm taking the Gales. I don't think they lose to USF and BYU this week. I think if they were to lose to the Dons, they would come out, host BYU, take them down. I think that's a bad loss for BYU, even if it's a quad one loss, which it would be most likely, or at least a quad two loss to St. Mary's. I think that that's probably going to be the death sentence for the Cougars. If they're not able to beat St. Mary's on the road, that's one more loss on their roster. And I, I think it's just enough that they're going to find themselves on in the 
first four outs or the next four out of the bracket and kind of on the outside looking in for the rest of the season unless some significant other things happen to the to the bubble that that allows them to jump back in or obviously if they pull off some surprising victories in Vegas in the early March but this is a team that really needs to win this game against St. Mary's and if they don't I think that they're gonna have a really hard time finding themselves playing meaningful basketball in March. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Good luck to the Zags tonight at 8 p.m. Check, Follow me on Twitter. We can talk throughout the game. Should be a fun one for the Zags. A good opportunity to score a lot of points against a young but developing Pepperdine team. More coming later this week. We'll, of course, recap the game. We'll preview the Santa Clara game on Friday. All right here on the Locked on Zags podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube. Another reminder, podcast links will be available on Twitter at Locked on Zags and on my own personal Twitter account, which you can find at ScoreZagsScore. Finally, thank you again to those of you who've made this podcast your first listen of the day. Now is a great time to make your second listen of the day, the Locked on Bets podcast. Locked on Bets is your daily one-stop shop for all of your sports gambling needs. Locked on Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. All right, thank you all for listening and go Zags. NCAA tournament is almost here and listening to Locked On College Basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.